Welcome again to the Strange Brew Podcast. Yes, my name is Jason Barnard and that was the wonderful Peter and Gordon and A World Without Love. Number one hit, I think, on both sides of the Atlantic, all the way back from 1964. And it is because I've got the huge honour and pleasure today of uh, having Peter Asher here today because uh, Peter Asher and Albert Lee are playing uh, the Café Nero stage at the Cornbury Music Festival in July. Welcome, Peter. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Fantastic. And um, first of all, um, obviously you're, you're playing at Cornbury. Have you have you been, I know you do play a lot of shows over in the U- United States. Do you come over to the UK much? Um, I do, one reason or another. I mean, I, I still, you know, I, I, I think of it in, in, in some respects still as home. You know, I still, still feel when I go to London, I'm coming home in a way, even though I've lived here for a long time. So, yes, and, and of course, I still have, you know, sisters and nephews and nieces and stuff. So I visit one way or the other quite often. And sometimes, sometimes on business, sometimes just for pleasure. 
but we're very lucky that we still have a flat in London and I can, you know, and it's easy to pop over. And in this instance, obviously we're coming to, to do a couple of shows with Albert, which is, which is something I've been doing lately. And we're doing the uh, half moon in Putney and we're doing the Cornbury festival. We both of which we're looking forward to. Yeah. Half moon is a great venue as well. Yeah. We played there once before. It's really fun. And Cornbury I've, n- I've never done, but I'm very much looking forward to. Yeah. There's some uh, great artists on the bill. Yes. No, it looks really cool. I'd like to kind of touch on a, a few tracks from, uh, there's so many things that you've been involved with over the last 50 years. It's, it's an impossible job to. Well, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a long time. So the list, the list <laughs> grows just because it's, you know, it's been so incredibly long. But yes, thanks. So the, the first track I played obviously was A World Without Love. Yep. It must have been incredible to sort of go straight in there with, uh, a, you know, a Paul McCartney song. And obviously you knew Paul very well. And, you know, go straight to number one on the wave of the British invasion. I mean, what a time. It was extraordinary. But, you know, of course, when you're that age, you kind of take it for granted. You know, you don't really realize. I don't mean you take it for granted exactly. But in other words, you kind of go, oh, great. We've got, you know, we've got a record deal. That was the first miracle, you know, because, of course, in that era, without a record deal, no one was ever going to hear your music. There was no other way to record it and no other way to get it out for people to listen to so you know we were just playing clubs and coffee houses and all that and got a record deal that's the first miracle and then you know i overheard this song that was unfinished and rejected and and liked it and we got to do that and all you know there's obviously lengthy stories in all of these moments but and then finally you know great we got a record oh great we got a song great the session went well great the record came out you know oh look it's going up the charts oh it's number one in england oh it's number one in europe oh it's number one in america how cool is that you know but you don't actually realize that each of those stages is kind of a million to one odds you know now i'm very much aware of that but then you just kind of go oh great fantastic let's go you know and and we enjoyed every second of it of course and in your shows with albert do you get a get a do you get a chance to to share some of your stories or is it predominantly on the music Oh, exactly. No, it's, 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 we both tell stories, you know, cause the thing about Albert is, well, first of all, obviously everyone knows what a genius mm. guitar player he is, but people forget what a good singer he is as well, because he's such an amazing player. And of course, you know, our stories intersect in some weird ways, you know, there's a lot of overlap. And of course, yes, we get to do, I tell some stories each of, you know, about how it all happened for Peter and Gordon. And then subsequently for me, you know, when I, found james taylor and all the other stuff that happened and so yeah it's, it's a mixture of, of, of stories and songs and and you know about and i get to play rhythm guitar for albert lee what could be <laughs> what could be more fun than that so each night i get to to just you know chunk away on my my chords and and listen to albert do something genius mm-hmm. you carried on having a, a run of hits uh with you know in, in peter and Gordon for the next few years and yeah i think we had about eight or so there were sometimes Things were bigger in America or the UK, but we had eight or nine hits, I think, altogether, yeah. Yeah, and you, you did manage to keep charting on each side of the Atlantic, which is, uh, not all artists managed to do that. They Sometimes they did, you know, one or the other. Um, yes. Hmm. The, the, I think the next two uh, hits from Peter and Gordon were, were also penned by Paul, Nobody I Know and I Don't Want to See You Again. Were they tracks written specially for you or just songs that he had kind of around? Uh, Nobody I Know was written for us. I mean, it's... Was that the order? It probably was. Was I don't want to see you again next? When did I go to pieces come? I don't really know. Somebody must have a list. But um, yeah, we we had several hits that he wrote and several hits that he didn't. But and the funny thing is, you know, people say, "Oh, how did you get so many songs out of you know McCartney?" And the truth is, the first one is a, is a story because that was a miracle and 
you know, I owe him a debt of gratitude and it changed my life. But after you have a number one record, everybody writes songs for you. I mean, they took their songwriting responsibilities seriously. You know, the thing to remember is they wanted to be songwriters as well as they wanted to be pop stars. And, you know, if, if, in all the interviews back then, one of the questions you were invariably asked in, without fail was, what are you going to do when this is all over? Because the confident assumption was that a pop career was two years kind of max. And they would answer in, in all the interviews, you can see, we will be songwriters. Their idols were not only Elvis and Eddie Cochran, they were also Goffin and King, Lieber and Stoller, Man and Wild, you know, all those magic songwriting teams. So the point being that when you have a number one record, you know, it is customary to, to want to, to write the follow-up because it's, you know it's going to do okay. You know, it might even be a big hit, which nobody I know was. So when we came back from promoting and working on Well Without Love, Paul had written Nobody I Know, complete, finished, with a bridge, you know. There was no, no groveling involved because, you know, they knew what the songwriting game was about. And that's, you know, someone's having hits, let's let's try and have one and, and they and they certainly did i'm not of course i'm not ungrateful for the songs they were brilliant and i thank him very much but it was standard music business common sense to 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 write the follow-up and and as i say we got submissions from all kinds of great writers and luckily paul's was the best or it might have been uncomfortable if we'd chosen someone else's but paul's songs are always amazing nobody i know could love me more than
again I hear that love is bland How can I understand When someone says to me I don't want to see you again Why do I cry at night Something wrong could be right I hear you say to me I don't want to see you again As you turned your back on me You hit the light of day I didn't have to play at being broken hearted I know that later on After love's been and gone I'll still hear someone say I don't want to see you again When someone says to me I don't want to see you again I don't want to see you again I don't want to see you again And then, for example, we had a big hit later with, you know, I Go to Pieces, which was a Del Shannon song, so it's a whole other world, you know. It's interesting. That's a neat link because, of course, I wanted to ask you about that. Was Is the story around I Go To Pieces that you were on tour with Del? Yes. We were on tour in Australia with Del Shannon and The Searchers. And interestingly, Del had written this song, which doesn't even really sound like a Del Shannon song because it's not his typical A minor, you know, rock groove kind of song. I love Del Shannon. We were big fans. And, of course, Runaway is one of the greatest pop records ever. And... He had a song that he thought would be right for the searchers, and actually he played it for the searchers, and they mistakenly, to my mind, turned it down. They didn't think it was right for them. They probably could, in fact, have made a really good record of it, I would think, with that great electric 12-string jangle that's their trademark. And but anyway, they didn't, and and we'd overheard it, so we were not his first choice, but we said, can we learn that song? We like it, so we learned it worked it out uh, on the road in Australia, worked out some harmonies and, you know, stuff and, and said to Dell, you know, please hold the song. Don't let your publisher give it to anyone else. As soon as we get back to London, we will record it. And we did. And it was a big hit. When I see her coming down the street, I get so shaky and I feel so weak. I tell my eyes look the other way But they don't seem to hear a word I say And I go to pieces and I wanna hide Go to pieces and I almost die every time My baby passes by I tell my arms they'll hold someone new Another love that will 
Is it accurate to say that Brian Jones is on the flip side? Love Me Baby? Love Me Baby is a Brian Jones harmonica solo, yes. Uh, and a very good one. Brian played on a few of our records. He was a friend of both of ours. I used to go and see the Stones once a week on Monday nights at, it was called Studio 51. It was Ken Collier's Jazz Club the rest of the week, and Monday nights was R&B night, and the Stones were kind of the house band. Uh, Brian and I had become friends somehow, and he, he and Gordon were close friends as well. They were kind of drinking buddies. You know, they would go out and do pub crawls that exceeded my stamina. But um, So, yeah, he came in one day and played uh, on that. There's like three or four Peter and Gordon tracks that have great Brian Jones harmonica on them with the, the great echo chamber and uh, Abbey Road Studio 2s pretty much maxed out, you know, um, even that, that great echoey harp sound that's so cool.
one of your other big hits that you had with Peter and Gordon, I think more over the States this time, was True Love Ways. Am I right that yourself and Albert are big Buddy Holly fans? We are. We are we are both big Buddy Holly fans, yeah. Yeah, we both know pretty much all the Buddy Holly songs. We do one in, in the show usually. We love that song. That was actually, to be fair, that was our producer's suggestion. John Burgess, who was producing us at the time, suggested True Love Ways. And then I had this idea of doing a, a very different kind of much bigger version of it, where the bridge, instead of being the way Buddy did it, which is which is beautiful, but it's a little bit sort of noodly jazzy with that alto saxophone thing. And instead of which I did a big kind of over-the-top crescendo Phil spector bridge. And... uh yeah, it's 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 a great song. You could do it so many different ways, and we did have a, a hit with that. Just you know why? Why you and I? So would I be right saying by 1965, as, as you were getting a bit more experience in the studio, you were getting more and more interested in the production side? I was. I mean, I wanted to be a producer the very first day I was in the studio. I thought the studio was so cool. The idea of what a producer could do, you could, you know, tell brilliant musicians much better than yourself what to do. I thought that was amazing. And just be able to think up ideas and try out stuff and you know, think of arrangements. And uh, so I, I was 
I was interfering probably from day one and continued to do so and learned a lot, of course, from working with Norman Newell and John Burgess, who produced our records, and then later getting to actually watch George Martin produce and so on. So I, but that, that was a conscious ambition on my part to be a record producer. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the the next song I'd, I'd like to sort of play and, and talk about is uh, Woman, which uh, there's, there's that sort of phrase about the songs that Lennon and McCartney gave away and you know, Woman is, is is one of one of the best, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's a great song, and Paul did write that for us, as far as I know. He certainly came to us with it and said, "I would like you to do the song," but and we loved it. But as you know, the, the, he had a proviso, which is he wanted to try putting it out under a pseudonym because people were suggesting that anything with his name on it or the Beatles' name on it was automatically successful, regardless of quality. And I think this annoyed him so. He said, how about if we put it out under a pseudonym, which didn't last very long, but it did last long enough. The the, the, the secrecy lasted long enough to prove that the fact that it was listed as being by Bernard Webb didn't make any difference at all, that it was still a hit. It had nothing to do with McCartney's name. And then a few weeks later, it came out that it was Paul and everybody owned up. And... Uh, that was the one. There was actually some some dispute about the arrangement itself between our producer John Burgess and Paul himself. He'd envisioned a much smaller version of it, and there is a sort of there is an early version floating around that's that's with a much smaller band and orchestra. And John was hearing it as a bit more big and declaratory. And I think I can, as I recall, I tried to stay out of that argument and, and leave that to them because you know. I wasn't sure which one I liked, to be honest. And, and the sort of bigger version came out and was indeed a hit. I was about to ask you about that because I, I, I do love that that, uh, that declaratory element where, where, where yourself and Gordon are, are, are trading vocals on that. I think that, that's one of the elements that brings the, the song together. So there you go. Yeah, it was a complete, I forget, we did record a couple of different versions and something technically went wrong and we had to replace some of the vocals. I remember we were on tour in America and we had to re-sing it at Capitol Studios for some reason. I don't quite remember it all, but um, it, it was a quite, it was a complicated venture getting that single out for some reason. Woman, do you love me? Woman, if you need
One of my favourite Peter and Gordon tracks is actually Sunday for Tea. Oh, really? It's a, you know, a lovely arrangement. I've actually played it before on the podcast. Um, what's your, what are your memories of that? Was it, I think it was a Carter Lewis. I'm trying to remember who wrote that arrangement. Um, in fact, who wrote the song? Do you know? I can't remember. I think it was, Car- I think it was a Carter Lewis. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes, I mean, that was after Lady Godiva, wasn't it? Lady Godiva being our first yeah. hit that wasn't you know, there was was not a serious song. That was written by Mike Leander. Um, and, uh, you know, that was the first time we'd, we'd done a song that had this kind of musical element to it. And I wasn't sure about the song, to be honest, when I first heard it. Gordon was the one who talked me out of, you know, worrying. He said, don't be so snooty. It's catchy and funny and let's mm. do it. And we did. And it was it. And I think that set us on a course where we did that ghastly night in rusty armor which i'm not fond of at all but we did do mm. and which was the follow-up to lady godiva and then i guess sunday fatigue came a bit after that i don't remember a whole lot about it i remember doing a whole bunch of promoted promotional photographs at like a picnic somewhere um and uh, but no i we've we've never done the song live i've never done it live with, with gordon or with anybody and it's it's uh it's a cool arrangement but um, I don't know. I'm not as keen on it as you are, I don't think. But, but I'm, but I'm glad you like it. Thank you very much. Sunday for tea. I'll see you Sunday for tea. I know it's not far away. Each hour is a day to. Lettuce and ham Or maybe crumpets and jam Oh baby, it'll be fun Having a Sunday tea And as you pass the sugar bowl to me I'll see at last Your heart and soul will be with Sunday could be a special Sunday for me Together we'll surely find the two of a kind are we On Sunday for tea And as you pass the sugar bowl to me I'll 
see at last your heart and soul will be with me Sunday for tea I'll see you Sunday for tea Together we'll surely find the two of a kind are we on Sunday 14. Well, so obviously I want to mention your production work and uh, in that early period of your production, I really do love the uh, Paul Jones track uh, and the Sun Will Shine and there's a really special band on that one as well, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Yeah, that, That's the first record I ever produced and I wanted to take no chances. You know, so I put a really a, a sort of fail-proof rhythm section together because as you probably know, it was Jeff Beck on guitar Paul Samuel Smith, who of course the bass player in the Yardbirds, and a brilliant producer himself on bass, Nicky Hopkins on piano, and in fact Jeff Beck was there because I asked, I didn't really know Jeff, and I asked Paul, of course, because Jeff was in the Yardbirds with him, to ask Jeff if he'd come and play, and he would, and, and, and he agreed to do so, and, and Paul McCartney playing drums, I'd long been an admirer of Paul's drummer, drumming, he's kind of very straightforward and simple and in a Ringo-ish kind of way. But he's a very good drummer. He's, he's very good at everything. So that was the band. And we, we cut uh, at least two tracks that day, the A and the B side. Might have been the third one, I'm not sure. But it was a hell of a band. And that is that record's not bad. Um, it wasn't a hit. It sort of bubbled into the charts and out again in the UK and nothing in the US, but it was fun doing it. It's a good record. Sounds pretty good still today, I think. Was that Abbey Road? Yes. Pretty sure. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Studio Two, I assume. And the rain will fall. It falls for you. And the clouds will break into tears. You should be here, standing so near to me. Oh, I say 
so by 68, Apple had been formed. Paul invited you to be head of A&R? Yes, because first he asked me if I wanted to produce some stuff when they got this label going. And then later on in discussion, you know, because we would spend a lot of time just talking about the plans for Apple and over at his house and so on. And, and he asked me if I wanted to be head of A&R for the label. And I said, absolutely, yes. What could be cooler than working for a brand new record label and working for the Beatles? And then um, James Taylor come come across your path? Yes. He just rang my phone one day. Um, (laughs) Because, as you may know, the key figure in that is a guy called Danny Korchmar, a great guitar player and very Mm. good record producer himself, who had played with Peter and Gordon on a few tours, and he and I had become very close friends. I was talking to him just yesterday. We were best friends to this day. And... uh, he was then in a band subsequently a few years later with James Taylor called The Flying Machine. That band broke up. James was going to London. Danny gave him my phone number. And that's how James called me out of the blue to introduce himself as Danny's friend. He came over and played me some songs and I went crazy. said, these are amazing. And I said, this strange thing, strange coincidence, I've just got a new job as head of A&R for a record label. Would you like a record deal? And he said, yes, please. And that was that. Even though that album wasn't a, the, the first James Taylor album wasn't a commercial success, it still had some incredible right. songs on it, you know, like Carolina. Oh, it did indeed, yes. Yeah, it did. It was, um, you know, if anything, in retrospect, I may have over-decorated it a little. I mean, it, it might be an overproduced record in the sense I was just so keen to make people pay attention to him mm. and make people realize this wasn't just another long-haired three-chord folky. This was, a you know, in my view, a musical genius and... So, so I really wanted to make the record special. And then I think that's why I backtracked on the next album, which we did in Los Angeles, which was Sweet Baby James, where I kept it very simple. Am I right to say that Paul and George were on Carolina on my mind on that first album? Um, I, I've got to get... I've, sometimes I have to sit down with James and pin this down. I am convinced George is not on it. I've read interviews with James where he thinks George played on it, but he didn't. Uh, he visited. He was there. But... Paul did play bass on it, for sure. I am certain George didn't play on it. And what no one's been able to explain to me, if he did play on it, why wouldn't I have credited him? Because were there any legal impediments, I wouldn't have credited Paul either. And so I'm actually, I keep meaning to, you know, when James and I speak, I always forget to bring it up, but I think he is misremembering. And, and of course, finally, you can't hear George. I mean, what's he doing? <laughs> if he's on it, what is he doing? Because if you listen to it, you can hear me singing, James singing, Paul playing bass. You can hear all, everything, but you, no sign of George. So in my opinion, that's a historical inaccuracy. George visited the studio a couple of times during the making of that record. Carolina might have been one of those days, but I don't think he played on it. In my mind, I'm gone to Carolina Can't you see the sunshine? Now can't you just feel the moonshine? And ain't it just like a friend of mine To hit me from behind? Yes, I'm gone to Carolina in my mind Karen, she's a silver sun You best walk her away and watch it shine Watch her watch the morning come a silver tear appearing now I'm crying ain't I I'm gone to Carolina in my mind There ain't no doubt in no one's mind that loves the finest thing around 
whisper something soft and kind And hey babe, the sky's on fire, I'm dying, ain't I? I'm gone to Carolina in my mind In my mind I'm gone to Carolina Can't you see the sunshine? Can't you just feel the moonshine? And ain't it just like a friend of mine To get me from behind? Yes, I'm gone to Carolina in my mind Dark and silent late last night I think I might have heard the highway call Geese in flight and dogs at bite And signs that might be omens say I'm going, going Gone to Carolina in my mind Now with a holy host of others standing round me No, still I'm on the dark side of the moon And it looks like it goes on like this forever You must forgive me If it's up and in my mind I'm gone to Carolina sunshine can't you just feel the moonshine and ain't it just like a friend of mine to get me from behind yes i'm gone to carolina in my mind in my mind i'm gone to carolina can you see the sunshine can you just feel the moonshine and ain't it just like a friend of mine to hit me from behind I'm gone to Carolina went over to america with james yes when App, when apple started to fall out, fall apart we agreed that i'd become his manager and off we went and, and did you have a deal when you went before you went over or was the end just no i had nothing it was all based on optimism hmm. youthful optimism i mean it's just like i said oh, okay i'm a manager now and you know it'll work out and uh, i found got the name of somebody to call at warner brothers records and began because we liked it we liked warner brothers because they had the cool artists like Joni and neil and stuff and uh that from they took it from there but it was basically a giant gamble uh, i mean the the sweet baby james album is is obviously kind of it's one of the best albums you know universally recognized as such and yeah you know tracks like fire and rain which are you know are up there on on that record would, would you say that by that period that you felt you, you kind of more mastered the, the art of production, and, and if so... Yes. Well, I think the more records you make, the more you learn, for sure, yeah. What, what was it you learned in the previous few years that you thought came to fruition by that record, do you think? Keep things simple, I suppose. You know, don't overdo it. 
I've always thought the part of a producer's job is knowing, knowing when to stop, you know, when to stop overdubbing, when to stop mixing, when to stop trying to cut the track when you've done 50 takes, you know, you know, maybe there's something wrong with the song in the first place or whatever. I think you just get more skilled both at dealing with people in the studio, dealing with the music in the studio and just keeping your eye on the main goal to make the best possible version of the song, to frame what the artist is doing in their singing and playing in the most effective way possible. And I think I was starting to learn that by the time of Sweet Baby James. Um, you know, I put the band together first. You know, I, I knew I wanted Danny Korchmar to play. I found this drummer called Russ Kunkel who'd never done a session for anybody else and loved him and, and so on. And, and also, by that time, I got to know one of my heroes, Carol King, who, you know, I was, was such an amazing songwriter at that point was not yet an artist. And I'd heard her demos and loved her piano playing. So I found her and asked her if she'd come over and meet James and consider playing on his record. So she came over to my house and that was the beginning of their long friendship and productive musical relationship. Just yesterday morning, they let me know you were gone. Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you. I walked out this morning and I wrote down this song. I just can't remember who to send it to. I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend But I always thought that I'd see you again Won't you look down upon me, Jesus You gotta help me make a stand just got to see me through another day My body's aching and my time is at hand I won't make it any other way Whoa, I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end seen lonely times when I could not find a friend But I always thought that I'd see you again Been walking my mind to an easy time My back turned towards the sun Lord knows when the cold wind blows It'll turn your head around well, there's hours of time on the telephone line To talk about things to come Sweet dreams and flying machines In pieces on the ground Oh, I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end I've seen lonely times when I could not find a but I always thought that I'd see you, baby, one more time again now. 
and then in the next few years, as well as managing and producing James, you you linked up with Linda Ronstadt. Yep, indeed. Again, you know, there's so many great tracks to pick from Linda. One of my um, favourite tracks is from the Simple Dreams album, Tumbling Dice, which is a version of the, the Stones. Oh, interesting. Yeah. See, Lin- I love that too. I mean, Linda was, didn't like, didn't enjoy singing those rock and roll songs as much as she enjoyed singing, you know, the more cerebral kind of ballads that she did do beautifully well. But I think she's, I mean, she's an amazing singer, whatever she does, but I love her rock and roll singing. I love Tumbling Dice. That's Waddy Wachtel and Danny Korchmar, I think, on guitars. Waddy, who's, of course, played with Keith Richards a lot and is a, you know, a, a Rolling Stones fan and friend, is playing a lot of lead guitar stuff. It's, it, yeah, I mean, I think Linda nailed that vocal. It's fantastic. Mm. Great mm. song, great song. with so many artists you linked up with Elton John for the 40th anniversary uh, version of Goodbye Yellow It Road 
I did, and then and then we just finished, you know, this new one a few weeks ago, the 50th anniversary of his writing partnership with with Bernie Taupin, which I got. I did a, put together a new version of this track I'd done with Ed Sheeran, um, a version of Candle in the Wind. So we we updated that for this new new collection, the uh, called Revamp, and I worked uh, on the Alessia Cara track as well, and I executive produced the whole album at Elton's request. Mm. From the 40th anniversary of Goodbye Yellow Bit Red, I like uh, John Grant's version of Sweet Painted Lady. Thank you. That was fun working with him. He's terrific. He, he became a pal, and he's 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 terrific. Yeah, I, I liked him a lot. I confess, I did not know who he was. In general, um, the most of the artists, you know, came out of a lot of meetings and lists, and who would be cool, and who do we like, and who should we ask, and and then the John Grant thing. Elton had just called me and said. Do you know who John Grant is? I went, no, I don't. Confess, I don't. He said, well, he's doing a track on the album because he's fantastic, and he, you know, get in touch with him. You, you should produce it, and blah blah blah. So that was it. That's how I met John. I, I before Elton told me about him, I was not aware. But Elton, as you know, is very much on the ball and always knows what's what and who's who. And he said, check out John Grant. He's amazing, and I, you know, he must do a track on the album. And I said, cool, yes, boss, and. uh he did, and uh, it was fun. He was great. I'm back on driving once again. Opportunity awaits me like a rat in the drain. We're all hunting honey with money to burn Just a short time to show you the tricks that we learned If the boys all behave themselves here Well, there's pretty young ladies beer in the rear You won't need a gutter to sleep in tonight Oh, the prices I charge you will see you alright So she lays down beside me again My sweet painted lady, the one with the name Many abused her and many still do There's a place in the world for a woman like you Seems it's always been the same Getting paid for being late I guess that's the name of the game Oh, sweet painted lady Seems it's always been the same Getting paid for being late I guess that's the name of the game Forget us, we're gone very soon Just forget we ever slept in the rooms And we'll leave the smell of the sea in your beds Where love's just a job and nothing is said So she lays down beside me again 
My sweet painted lady, the one with no name Many abused her and many still do There's a place in the world for a woman like you Oh sweet painted lady Seems it's always been the same Getting paid for being late I guess that's the name of the game Oh sweet painted lady Seems it's always been the same Getting paid for being late I guess that's the name of the game You've worked a lot in the the film industry, uh, especially of of, of late, and um, a great track of yours from the Madagascar Free uh, soundtrack, Love Always Comes as a Surprise. Thank you very much. How did that come about? I know you've done a lot with Hans Zimmer. Uh, Yeah, I've done a lot with Hans Zimmer. Uh, I'll tell you briefly the story. We were in London, actually, um, working with, I was working with Hans on some music for Madagascar 3 and what Hans sometimes does is put little bands together to try out various themes and motifs he has in mind in this instance it was myself, Dave Stewart, Sheila E, brilliant bass player Yolanda Fry, Yolanda sorry I've forgotten the second name, Yolanda anyway um, some great musicians and the movie people are all there as they usually are for these things and trying out ideas and when we got to this one point in the movie where the lion falls in love with the jaguar on the trapeze they they said well we're thinking of having a song written for this moment you know that will become the love theme for their love affair and Dave Stewart's like me he's not somebody who ever lets an opportunity pass by so the minute the session was over Dave and I said look you know to each other um, if they want a song, they're going to get someone to write the song. Let's do it before somebody else gets the gig. So we went out that night, um, had a couple of martinis, and wrote the song. And because we knew the kind of thing they wanted, they had some temp music in there, and we knew the theme and stuff. And we knew it had to be trapezy, so it had to be a waltz and so on. And um, so we came up with the song and came in with a mildly drunken iPhone demo the following morning, and they all went, that sounds right. You know, great. And we did think, I confess, that it would get second guessed at some point because these movies, everything gets second and third guessed. There's so much money and significance involved. But it survived. And then they said, okay, please go in and make a proper record of it, you know. So I produced the track in Los Angeles and I did a demo vocal on the track just so they could hear the song. And then there were meetings about who should sing it in the movie. And finally, it's one of those meetings, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who you may have heard of at what, that time was the big cheese at DreamWorks. And uh, he said, this sounds fine. We, we should just have Peter sing it in the movie. So I went, great. What a, a man of excellent taste. So he was probably really thinking how much money they could save not having some superstar sing the song. But uh, anyway, so that's how it ended up in the movie and how I ended up singing it in the movie. 
love always comes as a surprise. You don't need to close your eyes, 'cause soon you'll recognize its colors. Life, well, it always has a twist, something new that can't be missed. And you know I can't resist this feeling. I used to feel so far from home. I thought all hope had flown, just a dreamer on my own. And I know life's complicated, but we have to try to find our own future. With you at my side, we can all work together to build something new. I know you can see it. Let's make it come true. Passes by so fast. We must make each moment last and treasure each and every feeling. Friends are what make it all worthwhile. Just try and show a little style, and life can put a smile on your face. Don't. Ever give up on your dream? As hard as things may seem, we can win through in the end. Believe me, fears an illusion. The die may be cast, but things can still change. The future at last can be held in our hands. And out of the blue, with friends on our side, happy endings come true. We've come to a close, and I wanted to finish with a relatively recent track, one that you have produced, uh, Peter, and that's uh, Steve Martin and Edie Brickell. Love has come for you. Oh, great! Thank you, thank you. I'm so proud of that stuff. Yes, I mean th- those albums were such a pleasure to make. I've been a friend of Steve's forever, and it all began. I was having dinner with him, and at his house, and he he played me a couple of these songs. He just started writing with Edie, that you know that. Steve had written the banjo music and he'd written the song on top and it was fantastic. And I said, you've got to make a record of this stuff and, and here's how you should do it. And 
and uh, you know not traditional bluegrass but add some unusual instruments and different people and different flavors and some programming stuff and some strings real a real string section not just a fiddle i was on the plane home a couple of days later when he emailed me and said do you want to produce the album we're going to do it i went great i'm in and then you know as you probably know we turned it into a stage show that ran on broadway for a while is now on tour in america mm. but yeah making those albums uh, was was a pleasure Edie's an amazing singer steve is musically extraordinary and one of the hardest workers in the world he practices all the time and writes great stuff so it was uh it was it was a pleasure doing them and, and they did pretty well at least here i don't know how much attention anyone paid in the uk but in america they were quite successful mm-hmm. People need to, in terms of find out your tour dates, people need to go to peterashermusic.com? That's it, peterashermusic.com. Yes, because, you know, whenever I'm not in the studio, I, I'd love to throw in gigs from time to time. I do some with Albert Lee and, and, and some with, on my own with a band and stuff, but the, the Albert stuff is really fun, and that's what we're doing, as, as, you, as you correctly point out, at the uh, Half Moon and at Cornbury. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. And hopefully, even though it was an impossible job, I've given a taste of what is, you know, a remarkable career in the music industry. We've only skimmed the surface. Well, so far, so good. Exactly. (laughs) Um, um, You know, still, I'm always looking forward to the next project, but it's been very exciting so far. Okay. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you very much. I enjoyed this. Thanks a lot. Bye. What you done? But when she held that sweet boy in her arms, none of her words meant a thing. And when she held that sweet boy in her arms, she heard the quiet angel sing. Right there 
Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew Podcast. If you do like the show, please consider supporting me on Patreon. Patrons get access to unedited interviews as they're done, news, plus even access to my exclusive interview archive. All your support goes into keeping the show running and moving forward and getting amazing guests. To support me, just go to patreon.com forward slash strangebrewpod or click on the bright orange banner on the right-hand side at thestrangebrew.co.uk. Thanks very much.